Welcome all to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung. Nice to be here. <laughs> I went back to the antique shopping mall in Sherman Oaks on Ventura Boulevard, and I, I was doing my Christmas shopping there, but I invited a couple of more people to my Christmas party, and I had to go Christmas shopping for them. So I went back to the mall today, and I found a couple of items there. And I was just kind of like looking around, and I'm just like... Technically, all of this stuff is junk. Technically, all of this stuff was also at one point brand new. There are things that people bought and then they decided to uh, give it up or sell it or die. I mean, they all have like a story of some kind. And I mean, they're essentially curios. And the people who own these kinds of antique shops or vintage stores or thrift stores, I just wonder like what kinds of people they are. I mean, what kind of uh, business were they in prior to becoming a proprietor of Curios? Do they inherit the store? Uh, how often do they travel to go and find more Curios? Or do, just, do they just do it online? Because like my own parents also buy and sell antique and vintage items. And they have their own sort of like perspective on it and like how they want to do things. I just, you know, for me, it's just like the way I see it is like, oh, it's just people accumulating a lot of things in their space and then selling it um, while accumulating more. Like, that's what it seems like. But they are they are items that have been owned by other people. Like they come with a story, they come with a history. Somebody died while hanging on to these things. They're, I feel like those items have people's intentions and hopes and dreams and heartbreaks and loss. And I feel like all of those items carry those stories. And so perhaps that is what makes the gift more meaningful then when you gift an antique or a vintage item. This is something I'm doing like that's very new. I'm just trying it out this year. I, I don't think I've gifted vintage or antique items before in the past, but this is something I'm doing now. I am going to keep it very short and sweet today because I must conserve my energy. I have to talk to you all about being intentional when creating art and what that means. I think intentionality comes in many different forms. Like, I can ask myself, what is my personal intention for making this project? Like, I'm currently working on a screenplay. It's like, what are my personal stakes in that? And then wondering, what is the overall larger social or societal purpose that I am intending with this project? I think those are two very good questions to begin with. And then there comes the question of, like, what are the intentions of these characters? And how do I relate to them? And I'm trying my best to look at all my characters with love. Be like, ah, oh, well, I can love all of them. They're all my children. And it gets hard sometimes. Like, the line blurs from love to hatred when I get caught up in the character's choices. And, and, and then I start to feel like I need to disagree with them. And I start, like, moving up against them and fighting them. And then I'm like, wait... I feel like there's like an interesting sort of intimacy when that happens. When I start pressing myself up against something, the resistance that I feel and I push myself up against it. I mean, it's like very sexual if you think about it. It's a kind of coital dance 
that occurs when there is tension or resistance. I think that's why they say there's sexual tension, right? There's like a push-pull. There's an attraction, but there's also a repelling that's happening simultaneously. So they call that tension. And we need that tension. A lot of the times, that tension is what grabs everybody's attention. And I feel like in order to make that tension seem beautiful, we need to be very, very balanced and fair and honest when approaching our stories and how we approach that. I think this past year, I was working very hard at trying not to complain. And I don't think I did a perfect job, but I also think that I decreased my social interactions a lot in order to avoid complaining. And what ended up happening was the complaining started to just happen in my head anyway. And so, like, how do I stop that? And yesterday, I just learned, like, oh, you just have to say stop. <laughs> you just have to say pause. Let's reassess. And then redirect. I mean, there's no other way but that. You just stop. And that's something I'm trying to do more and more to be like, I have this urge, this default desire to just complain. And, you know, complaints come in all forms. It comes in the way of just expressing ourselves in a way that, like, makes other people feel sorry for us or expressing ourselves in a way that is, like, highly cynical or negative. Yeah, complaints come in all different facets. Oh my god, I even feel like academia is a form of just highbrow complaining. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, I was at the Skylight Bookstore yesterday and... um like, we were at the philosophy section, me and my friend, and I just pointed at, like, all these, like, you know, like, Hannah Arendt, like, Foucault, Derrida, like, you know, all these Nietzsche, all these different philosophers, and I just told her, I was like, philosophers are essentially um, complainers. They are essentially having an anxiety attack, and then they write down that anxiety attack using lofty words, and then they say, this is a book, or this is a theory. That is what philosophy is at the core. And increasingly, I feel like words are not meaningless, not trivial, but inadequate. I feel like words are not enough. Words are insufficient to capture the whole experience of, of a perspective or a feeling. One of the things that I'm going to make a bigger effort on changing is to not identify with my thoughts or feelings so much. To not be like, oh, this is so important. Like, this is like really, really important. <laughs> this particular thought or this particular feeling. It needs space and it needs a witness. And uh, like, I don't really want to do that anymore. And it's like, how do I balance that with also not minimizing and trivializing my thoughts and feelings when they occur? How do I actually just look at it from a place of like, this is a thought, this is a feeling, no more, no less. How do I get into that space of neutral calmness? It's really tough. It's really hard. And I think maybe that is why I'm especially tired today because I've been working so hard all day at trying to achieve this. <laughs> it's a daily task. I don't know. It's a daily task. It's a daily battle and it's an uphill battle, but that's what I do. That's what I work on.